and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at Exodus chapter, the end of chapter 2, most of chapter 3, and a little bit of chapter 4. We're also going to look at Psalm 40. And what we're looking at during this Christmas season is how God is with us, okay? And so, one of the places that God is with us, he's always with us, but one of the things that we recognize is that God is with us in our fears and in our failures, um, and so kind of wanted to get you thinking about uh, what are some of the fears that you have in life? Um, maybe what causes you some anxiety? Uh, if you wake up in the middle of the night, what's on your mind? Um, if you look at the future, what, what are some of the things that maybe you go, I'm not really sure about that, how that's going to work. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained. Um, maybe it's your work situation. Maybe it's finances. Uh, maybe it's just the general state of the nation that we live in. There's a lot of things that we could have some fear or anxiety about. Uh, maybe, maybe it's your, your relationship with God. Maybe you're not sure where your relationship with God is at. Maybe you don't know if you're uh, saved. Maybe you don't know if you're united with him through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, maybe, maybe you feel strained between you and God. Maybe that's your area of anxiety or fear. Uh, the other thing that God is with us, he's, he's in the places where we fail. As we look at this story of Moses, uh, he tried to do something in his own strength. It was probably even the right thing, but he did it in his own ways and it didn't turn out right. And that's usually where we have our failures as we maybe are even trying to do the right thing, but we try and do it in our strength and it doesn't turn out the way that we hoped it would instead of doing it in God's ways and with his timing. And so, you know, what are your fears? What are your failures? Um, I'm going to pray right now, and while I'm praying, just kind of let God talk to you a little bit about what's weighing on on your heart this time of year. And so, Father, we do ask that you would inspect us, that you would give us clarity on on the things that are maybe weighing on us, that you would give us an understanding of the places that... Maybe we're out of step with you. That you would give us wisdom in relationships that we have and the best way to love and care for other people. And maybe, God, there's just nothing right now. Uh, Maybe it's a season uh, of our lives where we we feel close to you. Uh, We we not just feel, but we, we know that we're close to you. We know our relationship with you is firm. And if that's the case, then maybe who is it that you would have us reach out to that isn't in that place? What would you do through us during the season of our life? How would you use us? How would you help us care for other people? Um, What big, outside of our expectations, um, task would you have us take on? Something bigger than we could ever even know how to do. What would you have us take on? Would we, would we be willing to trust you if you asked us to do something that was bigger than we think we can do? Would we walk in faith and take on uh, the good works that you put in front of us? 
And so God, show us these things this morning. What are the areas where we have fears or failures? What are the things that hold us back from trusting you into the next big step of life that you have for us? We ask that you would show us these things, and we ask that these things would not be done in our own ability or our own strength, but we would recognize that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he has saved us from our fears and failures. He has given us new life, and he resides with us. You, you are with us at all times, and so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So pick up with me at the end of Exodus chapter 2. If, if you don't know this story... Uh, the Jewish people, they go to Egypt because of, of famine, primarily. Uh, Joseph is taken into slavery, and then his father and his brothers follow along into Egypt. And there's a famine, and Joseph is able to care for not just the nation of Egypt and not just his family, but through uh, dreams that God gave him, he's able to care for pretty much the entire region in a period of famine. And then a period of three or 400 years goes by and the Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph anymore is how the book of Exodus opens up. And so what that's a statement of is that the person in charge of Egypt doesn't care about the Jewish or Hebrew people. He's no longer something that, uh, they don't have a place of prominence within the nation of Egypt anymore and they're being subjugated and taken into slavery. And so this period of time goes by and the, the Jewish people are groaning. They're calling out to God in their, in their hurts in their fears, um, in their failures. They're calling out to him. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, After a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out. And their cry for, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. And so the, the big thing to look at here is that God knows about our groans. He knows about our pain. He hears us calling out to him. He, he's, not, he's not far off. He's not ignorant. He's not uncaring. Um, God is very much concerned with you and I and the hurts that we have. He's very much in the midst of them and looking to comfort us, looking to care for us. He's going to act. Uh, the other place that we'll spend some time, maybe you want to put a finger in two places. The other one is Psalm 40. And Psalm 40 is written by David. Uh, we guess at when he wrote it, but there were multiple times in David's life where the people that he, he should be able to trust are acting against him. The people that he, even his own son, uh, the, the countrymen that he is the king of, they're, they're rebelling against him, they're fighting against him, they're trying to take his life. And he wrote this psalm in one of those places. And in the first verse it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. David is saying the same thing that the Israelites experienced in Egypt, he's experiencing that a thousand years later in his life. God is always present in the lives of his people. He always knows what's going on. He's always listening. David goes on in that psalm, and in verse 12, he says, for the troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Now, for some of you, the hairs on your head are easy to count. For the rest of us, um, I've never even tried, right? Most of us have never even tried to count the hairs on our head. His point is that he is, he is in a position where he, he doesn't even know where to begin. Um, that's how much stress he's feeling. That's how much hurt or fear he's, he's feeling. And David's, David's times of difficulty really were a result of his own failures. 
Um, they were the result of his failures as a king. They were a result of his failures as a husband. They were his failures as a, as a father that resulted in the difficult times that he went through. And so uh, we know that our actions on earth have consequences, right? If you, if you make an earthly mistake, you have an earthly consequence for that. In the heavenly realms, those are paid for by what Jesus has done for us. But if you tell a lie and get caught in it, there's going to be consequences for it. If you cheat in your marriage, and uh, there's going to be consequences for it. So if we take an action on earth, there's going to be an earthly consequence for it. Thankfully, Jesus has taken uh, the eternal consequences of those on himself, and David is in a place uh, like the Israelites of old, where they are overcome by the difficulties that are around them. And so God knows our hurt, and he's going to act. He knows our hurt, and he's going to act. He has a plan. He has a promise. He's going to see it through. We can count on him. And then we see that Meanwhile, in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 1, meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame within a bush. And Moses looked and he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Then when the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called him from the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, God says to Moses. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, if you know the story of Moses, why is he in the middle of the wilderness tending sheep? He was born in a time when the Pharaoh tried to kill all the firstborn of the Jewish people. He's put into a basket on the Nile River. He's taken in through uh, one of the princesses of the house of Pharaoh. He's able to then be cared for and raised by his mother, but he's raised in the Pharaoh's court. He is a prince. He's in a position of power and privilege. He grows up and he realizes his Hebrew ancestry, and he looks out and he sees the people under uh, taskmasters. And he says, the, the scripture says that he rises up against one of these taskmasters who's being harsh to the Hebrew people. People. He kills him. He buries him in the sand. And then he goes and he talks to the Jewish people the next day and they're fighting with each other. And they sa he says, why are you fighting with each other? And they go, oh, are you going to kill us too? Like you did the Egyptian. And Moses knows he's in trouble because his secret is out. And then he has to run away from Pharaoh and he finds himself married to a priestess, uh, a priestess's, a priest's daughter uh, within the land of Midian, and now he's caring for sheep in this area. And so Moses is in a position where he has failed majorly, right? His goal uh, was to free his people from the bondage that they were under. He tried to free people from bondage in his own strength and his own ability, and then he, the result of that is failure and exile into a land of uh, a complete lack of notoriety. He goes from a wealth and privilege and power, trying to do things in his own strength, to looking after sheep in the desert. Okay, And so he's, he's a major failure at this point in time, and yet God has a plan for him. And, and what we see for this is God has a person for the job, and it might be you and me. A lot of people, they disqualify themselves from service to God because of things that have happened in their lives. They say, well, I've been, I, I used to deal with, you know, I used to struggle with alcohol or I, I have a failed marriage or I have a, like you, you kind of know what your failures are. I lost my job. I haven't been the best employee. I haven't been the best dad. You know, I haven't been the best mom. We take these things and we say, because of these things, God couldn't use me. God must not have a place or a position for me in his kingdom because of the problems that have existed in my life. And the clear message here, if you've never read the Bible, is everyone is a failure. That's all that God has to work with. And in his grace, he chooses to work with us. 
He overcomes our failures. He pays for our failures. He gives us a new position, a new name. He makes us his children. Uh, he, he then lifts us up and elevates us into a position where we're ham- his ambassadors. And that's what he's going to do with Moses, a dropout prince, the, failure, the failed man of power. He takes him and he says, I know your past. I know your brokenness, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to have you be a part of my plan of redemption. Uh, In his situation, it's for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. But he's going to use you and I within the church to redeem people from a different kind of bondage, right? The bondage of the Egyptians was one of false gods. It 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 was a nation of deception and death. It was a nation of people being deceived and experiencing death. And Moses is going to be used by God to call people out of that. We're, we're in the same place. The people around us that don't know Jesus, it's a place of deception and death. There's no truth and there's no life. And what Jesus calls us to be is the, his hands and feet, his vocal cords, so that we can speak the message of life and truth and the way found in Jesus. And so God's, God's plan is very much the same for us as it was for Moses. He did something similar for David in Psalm 40. If you look at verses 7 through 10, David says, Then I said, See, I have come. In the scroll it was written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, O Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. In other words, you've called me to this. David has been called to this. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a failed father. But you've called me to this, and you're greater. You're bigger than my mistakes. You're bigger than the things that I've done wrong. And so I'm going to proclaim the righteousness that I now have in you. Yeah, I was a failure at this point in time in my life, but God's righteousness has been given to me through what Jesus has done for me. And so I, I see myself not as my failures, but I see myself as in Christ. I don't see myself in the places where I've blown it. I see myself in Jesus and what he's done for me. My identity's wrapped up in who he says I am, not in what I've done in the past. And so because my identity is wrapped up in who he says that I am, I'm gonna speak. I'm gonna open my mouth. I'm gonna speak of his righteousness. I'm gonna talk about God's faithfulness and his salvation. I won't conceal the love and truth that are found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to speak those out. And so if you disqualify yourself for speaking because, uh, to, on God's behalf because of something that you've done wrong in your life, you need to understand that has been forgiven. You, you, you confess that for what it is and you repent of it, God has work for you to do. Don't let a mistake this last week or somewhere in your life keep you from stepping up into the ministry and the role that God has for you within his kingdom. Don't let it hold you down. Move past it. Get past the hurt, get past the failure, get past the fears. Not because of what we are capable of, what you and I are capable of, but because of what God is capable of doing through us. And so God has a person for the job. It might be you and me. Now, this interaction that God has with Moses, he he speaks to him from a burning bush. And and I've shared with you previously that uh, this bush was a, a symbol of sin. And so here's this flame within the bush and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And so in God's revelation of himself to Moses, he's essentially saying, I know that you've sinned. I know that you've messed up. And while God will judge sin, he's going to be patient with it. 
Instead of just consuming us and watching us burn up, God is there, he's righteous, he's just, but the flame actually brings purification instead of judgment when we repent and trust him. And so that's kind of the message that's coming through to him here. And so God has a person for the job. It might be you and me. Our past does not disqualify us from what God would do through us in the future. He continues. He tells Moses the plan. In verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's saying, remember who I am and what I've done. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in the God of the Bible, his past actions and his character that's been revealed is so important to our minds because what God has done and who he is should generate trust in him, right? Who he is and what he's done should generate trust and obedience from us to him. And then it says, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He sees this flame, this fire within the bush, and he knows his past. He knows his brokenness, and so he's afraid to look at God. There's some wisdom there. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, to, to think that we could stand before God uh, in our brokenness and in our sin without uh, any fear of condemnation is something that we can only have once we know his plan of salvation. Verse seven, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and I heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know their sufferings and I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The, terror, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the, Pe- the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites, right? Um, he's going to move them into a place that's already inhabited, and he's going to have, we see that take place in the book of Joshua. So because of the Israelite, Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Go therefore, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so God's saying, I have a plan, trust me. I, ha- I have work for you to do, you can trust me. I have, I have something ahead of you. Uh, remember who I am in the past. Remember what I've done for your fathers. Remember what I've done for your people. Remember what I've done uh, in my character from the past. And based on that, I want you to take some actions. Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your works are wondrous and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak them, they are more than can be told. So David looks at this and he says, I know what you did in your promises to Abraham. I know what you did for Isaac. I know what you did for Jacob. I know how you used Joseph. I remember how you uh, led the Israelites out of Egypt through miraculous signs to Pharaoh and split the Red Sea and took us into the, the land of the desert, into the wilderness, and you provided for us with manna and quail and you had water come out of a rock. I mean, all these things that you've done, God. You appeared to us in a pillar of smoke and uh, there was this flame and, and we know that you're with us and we know that you care about us and we know know what you've done. And so kind of what you, you think about that and you go, that's what the scriptures say about God, but what has he done in my life? You know, what's his story in your life? What's his story of bringing you out of darkness and into life? What's his story of transforming your mind and causing you to see truth for what it truly is? What's your story of coming to repentance and trusting Jesus? What's your story of salvation, of being rescued? What's your story of redemption? And so it's good to look back It's good to remember who we were before Christ. It's good to remember what it was to live in darkness because we don't live there anymore. We walk in truth and we walk in light. 
So it's good to remember what God has done. If each and every one of us were to sit down and share our story, it would take a while. There's much that God has done in my life. There's much that he's done in your life. And there's much more that he's going to do. And maybe, maybe you don't have a firm relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're doubting. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Let me tell you, he has so much for you. He's already been working in your life. You wouldn't be here otherwise. He's already been pursuing you. He already loves you. He's already redeemed you on the cross. He's already paid for all of your sins. He's already made you a new creation. He's just waiting for you to trust. He's waiting for you to take that step of faith and believe. And so I wonder, maybe today is your day of salvation. Maybe your story changes today. Today is the day you walk out of darkness and into light. And over the, the rest of the course of your life, you'll see the transformation that is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Maybe your story begins today. But God has a plan, and it involves us trusting him. He's calling for us to trust him. The next thing we see is that Moses, he is a little bit hesitant, more than a little bit hesitant to do this. So in verse 11, it says, But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I, I tried this once and I failed. Why would you want me for this job? He answered, God answers Moses, I will certainly be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And, and that's really important because when, when Moses says, what shall I call you? What shall I compare you to? God essentially says, there is nothing you can compare me to. There are lots of things you could try, and people have, but there is no equivalent. I am the one who has always been and will always be. I am the uncreated creator. I am the one who has always been. I, I, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. God also said, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And he says, That's, this is my name for time immemorial, right? Uh, you should always, we should always remember that God is the one who says, I am that I am. When Jesus spoke, one of the, one, many of the places where they, where they went to uh, kill him or stone him for blasphemy, he would answer questions and he would say, I am, right? Uh, in John 8, when Jesus is interacting with a crowd of people, um, he, he tells them, before Abraham was born, I am. And it's a statement of Jesus saying, this is my deity. We've been going through the gospel of Mark and when he calms the storm, he uses this I am language. And so Jesus over and over again claimed to be God incarnate. He claimed to be the eternal creator in human flesh, the God of all truth and wisdom and power and grace and forgiveness and love and knowledge and wisdom and so on and so forth. I mean, like I said, like David said, it'd take forever to write it all down, it'd take forever to say it. 
He is, Jesus is that for all of us. He is the, the eternal God in human flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The God, the Lord, the God of your ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. And so Moses expresses his fear, his past failures, and God says, I will be with you. And I think this is so key to us is because when we see our past, when we see our failures, when we see our shortcomings, God's answer to those is, I am with you. Well, God, I have a, I have a tendency to, to lose my temper. Well, okay, I'm with you. And instead of your temper ruling you, the Spirit of God is going to rule you and you're going to have self-control. Well, God, I have a tendency uh, to want to indulge my flesh uh, when, I, when I feel down, when I feel low, when I experience my fears and my failures, my tendency is to turn to food or to alcohol or to drugs or to the TV. I numb myself with something. That's my tendency, God. That's the f- pattern within my flesh when I feel low and bad about myself is to turn to something that numbs me. And God is saying, okay, well, I'm going to be with you. And instead of turning to that numbing agent, I want you to turn to me. And I want you, instead of experiencing numbness, I want you to experience life. Well, God, as, as a parent, I have a, I have a tendency to fly off the handle when my kid does this one thing. It just drives me nuts. Last night, I, 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 wake up, I woke up early this morning, and I went out to where the puppies are in the sunroom, and the door wasn't shut all the way. So all night, cold air is flowing through the door while a space heater is running. And I was like ready to fly off the handle first thing in the morning, right? But God is with me. And so instead of flying off the handle, instead of losing my temper, which I don't know that I did this perfectly because later they opened the door and I said, hey, shut it all the way. And I probably didn't say it in a voice that, it, that was like encouraging. Um, I mean, it was encouraging, but it was more of this kind of encouragement. But, uh, but you know, we all have these tendencies within us. We all have these, these things that, uh, that, we would, that we would do instead of living God's way. And his answer is, I'm with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overcome your brokenness. I'm going to overcome uh, your, your tendencies to live outside of his plans. He's going to overcome those with his presence. The Spirit of God indwells you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is with you at all times to empower you, to change the way that you think, to change the way that you speak, and to change the way that we make choices if, that we would make on our own. And so it's this trust, this ongoing trust, this abiding that God has called us to. He's inviting Moses to it right now. Now, I'm, I'm going to sort of paraphrase the rest of the chapter. Um, in verses 16 through 18, God says, go to the elders and explain the plan to them. I want you to go to the elders of the nation. I want you to head into Egypt. Uh, you're going you're gonna to make this journey into Egypt, and I want you to gather the, the elders of the nation, and I want you to tell them the plan. He says, they're going to listen to you, okay? I, I'm going to make them listen to you. And then he says, go to Pharaoh. After you've gone to the elders, I want you to go to the Pharaoh, this guy that you know that's adopted you as a son uh, and then rejected you and kicked you out because of your past actions. I want you to go to him. He's not going to listen. And because he's not going to listen, I'm going to give you miracles to perform. And in chapter four, he tells him some of the miracles. He says, I'm going I'm to make it so you can perform miraculous signs before Pharaoh so that he'll believe that I have sent you. And even then, he's going to push back, but I'm going to perform this. You're going to succeed. And Moses, if, if you go forward in the, in the, into chapter 4, 
God explains what those miracles are. And then in verse 10, it says, Moses replied to the Lord, Lord, please, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been become or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Moses is like, hold on, I have an excuse. I've never really been good at public speaking. Remember that one time I tried it? It failed completely. Uh, I really haven't even been eloquent since I've started talking to you. Most of my conversations are with sheep. And they don't really listen either. He's like, why are you picking me for this? Of all people, why, why me? In verse 11, the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? And who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. In other words, God says, I'm pretty sure I know how your mouth works. I'm pretty sure I know how your brain works. I'm pretty sure I know what it takes to make you succeed. Stop it with the excuses and trust me. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And that's an interesting phrase. God, he reaches this point with Moses where he says, your lack of trust is kind of driving me up the wall. And it's not that you could drive God up the wall, but there, there's this instance, there's this understanding that disobedience causes us to put God in a position where he's going to say, come on, let's go. Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And also he in his own way, or excuse me, he is on his way to meet you now. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. He will be both, I will help you both. I will help both you speak to him and will teach him and will teach you both what to say. Uh, he says, he will speak to the people for you and he will serve as a mouth for you and you will serve as God to him. Take this staff in your hand and with it you will perform signs. And so I think the interesting thing that you see there is that Moses has excuse and excuse and excuse. And one of the things that God does for us and that he did for Moses is he says, I know your fears, I know your failures, I know your shortcomings, and not only am I gonna be with you, but I'm gonna give you somebody to walk alongside you. Um, and so we see that within the body of Christ, right? We, we see that as, as we come together. That's one of the things that's so important about a Christian community is that you may feel like I can't do this. Um, and you may feel like even with God's presence, I'm not sure I could do it. Well, guess what? There's some mature believers who could walk alongside you. Uh, there's some people, if you show up, if you're a guy and you show up to men's group, they're gonna walk alongside you through life. You're gonna say, I really don't know how to be kind to my kids when they anger me. I really am not sure how to serve my wife best. I'm really not sure how to be the best employee I can be. There's guys who, who will sit with you and talk to you about life. It's one of the things that we make a point to do in that group. There's a women's group on Monday night that would do the same thing, where if you're wondering, how do, how do I best be a mom? How can I live best as a grandmother? There's all these places of community that we're called to come alongside each other so that there's somebody to walk with you. Maybe you're, you're, a, te you're a teenager, you're in school, and you're wondering, what's the best way to combat what's, what, what's approaching me in life? You know, I've got all these outside voices telling me uh, the way that I should live, and I've got all these things that are showing me a different way than what the scriptures have to say. Well, we'll get in a youth group. Be a part of a, a community of believers that are walking together towards Jesus. We're not supposed to do this on our own. And I think that's one of the neat things that we see God do for Moses is in spite of all of his excuses, God says, okay, I'm still gonna work with you. Even, 
even though you're still expressing fear, I'm still going to work with you. I'm going to have somebody walk alongside you. David says it this way in Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17. He says, Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish to harm me turn back and be humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, those who think they've got him, be appalled because of their shame. Let those who seek to rejoice, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. I am opposed, excuse me, I'm oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. And so David's cry is very similar to what Moses had to say. Oh, I need you with me. Uh, Moses expect, expressed that he felt like he needed even, even God's presence. Moses felt like that wasn't enough. He needed somebody else alongside him. And I think that's so encouraging to us because God didn't say, well, fine, I'll find somebody else. He said, okay, I'll bring somebody into your life that'll help you. And I think that's such a powerful message to us, right? That we may feel like God doesn't have what it takes, just him. Or maybe, maybe it's not necessarily that we don't feel like God has what it takes, but we don't feel like we have what it takes even if God was with us. Because I've messed up in the past, because I've made mistakes in the past, I still, even if God were with me, I'm not sure it could work. God says, okay, I'll bring flesh and blood alongside of you so that you can be helped. And isn't Aaron a picture of Jesus? Isn't he? It shows, it's like this, this picture of Jesus to Moses. Moses says, even, I don't have what it takes. I need flesh and blood alongside me. God says, how about Aaron? And we, we have that too in the person of Jesus. He has come. He's lived among us. He's walked with us. He took on our limitations. He took on our fears and our failures. He knows our struggles. And he overcame them through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so there's this picture of Christ for us in this, in this passage, in what Moses received in the person of Aaron, this flesh and blood. Um, and so there's, there's kind of a, a multiple ways you could take that in, how Jesus is alongside us, he's walked with us, he knows our fears, he knows our failures, he's overcome them. But God has also put us in community where there's somebody who's already lived your circumstances. There's somebody who's already been through an addiction. There's somebody who's already been through uh, struggling at work. There's somebody who's already been through uh, the difficulty of raising children. There's somebody, there's somebody that's already been in the situation that you're in. They're in this congregation, and God would have them walk alongside you. So it's a call to community as well. And so briefly, I'll share with you probably the, the biggest thing that God has asked me to take on in my life. Um, seven years ago, a good friend of Becky and I's, my wife, uh, Stacy, the tree that's in the back there is in honor of Stacy Ritwiger. She passed away of cancer. Um, her and her husband had three boys. Um, long story short, the, the husband is up in a situation where he's not able to care for the boys. Uh, a, fa a family friend takes the boys in. 
family that had just become empty nesters, Solomon, Shiloh, and Ben. They're young. And they reach a point, this empty nest family, they reach a point where they realize dad isn't going to get better from the thing that's holding him down. And they come to us and they say, we're not the long-term solution for the boys. Well, God had been preparing Becky and I for this. We saw it, we saw it coming. And when Becky first asked me, if, if, if dad doesn't get better, do you think we're the long-term solution? I was like, no way. We don't have enough money. Our house is too small. Um, uh, I don't, I don't really know these boys. I don't know if I could do this. I had all, like, all the things that Moses had to say, there's no way I could do this. I had my excuses. And God gave us the period of about nine months to the point where that family came and said to us, we don't think we're the long-term solution. Becky and I were pretty quickly able to say, we think we are. That said, we had no idea how it was going to work financially. No clue. We had, we, like, we had, we had just got into a new house. It was a little bit bigger, but it wasn't big enough for four boys, as well as our two daughters. Uh, we had, I didn't know how it was going to work. I, didn't, I don't make enough money. Our house isn't big enough. Our car isn't big enough. We had to sell our car, get a new, I mean, all the things. We just had no idea how it was going to work. And can I tell you that God had errands for us and he still does along the way? There's these people that are a constant part of our life. They make sure that there's enough money. They make sure that the boys have new clothing. They, make, they, they just come alongside us and they make sure all these things happen. Now, if Becky and I were left on our own, we would be in a lot of trouble. But the really cool thing is, is that God has provided all these people along the way. Some of you have been generous to us over and over again, um, and you've done it anonymously. I never get a chance to say thank you because it's anonymous. Thank you. And so God calls us to these big things. Uh, These things that are maybe a little bit more than we would ever think we could say yes to. But I can tell you this. When you say yes, he has a plan, he'll make a way, he'll bring people alongside you, and he is always with us. It's not just people that we depend upon, though we're so thankful for the people in our lives. Day in, day out, week in, week out, we rely on God. And so I wonder, what is the big thing God is calling you to? I'm not saying he's going to drop three boys in your lap until you to adopt them. He probably won't. But I guarantee he has something big for you to trust him. I guarantee he has some things in your life that you go, oh, there's no way we could do that. But with him, you can. In a Christian community with brothers and sisters that are walking alongside you, you can. And so the question that God seems to ask us over and over again is are you willing to rearrange your life so that he can lead. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to rearrange your life so that Jesus can lead? That's the first thing we have to do when we come to salvation. You have to rearrange your, you have to say, I'm no longer calling the shots. I, I, I tried that. It was, a, it was a cycle of failures that resulted in a lot of fears within me. And I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm not calling the shots anymore. I'm allowing Jesus to lead. And then he takes up that place in our heart that only he can fill, but he doesn't leave our heart the way that it was. He rearranges it. He changes it. 
And in the process of changing it, he's going to ask us time and time again, are you willing to rearrange your finances so that I can be in control? Are you willing to rearrange the way that you approach work so that I can be in control? Are you willing to rearrange your marriage so that I can be in control? Are you willing to rearrange the way that you approach parenting so that I can be in control? Are you willing to look at retirement in a way that glorifies me rather than a way that is for your comfort? Are you, are, you will, are you willing to do these things? And maybe it's something else. But God constantly asks us, are you willing to rearrange your life so that I can lead? And his promise in that, one is that it's gonna be way more rewarding. It's gonna be way better. But the other thing that it's gonna be, it's gonna be challenging. There's gonna be all these places where you learn to trust him in new ways. There's going to be all these people that he brings alongside you uh, to, to comfort you and, and to allow you to, to make your way in those things. So I don't know what your fears and failures are that hold you back from saying, yes, God, I'll let you rearrange my life. But I guarantee he'll overcome the fear, he'll overcome the failure, and he's better. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this... Uh, this day that you are with us. We thank you that you care about us. You know what's going on in our lives. You know our brokenness. You know our pain. You know the things that we think hold us back from being used by you. You know the things that we think are too big for you to forgive. You forgive them. You overcome them. And you promise to use us. I I pray that we would trust you, that we would allow you to lead us, Again, we thank you that you're with us and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.